Psalm 8 and verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. You have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this special time each year that we get to focus on you. That we remember that you came to us for us, to save us so that we could be with you. And as we spend time together in your word today, Lord, I thank you that you would uh, emblazon it on our hearts, that you would uh, light a fire in our souls that will burn with affection for you as we go through this time. We've got so many opportunities to be distracted, Lord, that our focus would be on you and everything else would be enjoyment. And we thank you for these things in Jesus name. Amen. As I was preparing for this, I, I was thinking about hero stories. We all like hero stories, whether it's the books that we read, the movies we watch, the stories we tell, comic books we read. We like hero stories. In all of those, you have a person or usually a group of people that's being subjected to an evil that's outside of their control, Right. Something that they are underneath, but they don't want to be underneath of. You can think about the people of Gotham City and all the crime bosses that they suffer under and they couldn't do anything about it. Think about the Star Wars universe and it's the evil empire and Darth Vader and, and this powerful intergalactic governmental entity oppressing people and imposing their will and the people can do nothing about it. Lord of the Rings. One of my, I don't know if y'all know this about me. I'm a little bit of a nerd. I'm unapologetic about it at this point in my life. But Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite stories by Tolkien, you have the dark Lord Sauron and imposing his will upon the whole of Middle Earth and all the peoples that live in it, an evil, a darkness in the land that they can't do anything about. Seems to be unable to be defeated. But then in the story, a hero emerges. And the interesting part about these heroes in these stories is that they are primarily like everybody else. They are like the people that they come to save. They are out of the same population generally like everyone else, but there's usually a unique difference, something that makes them special, something that has them uniquely equipped or gifted. Maybe they're immune to a certain situation or thing. Uh, they're, they're specially positioned to be what usually is referred to as the chosen one. 
right? The chosen one. This is the one who's going to clear the evil. This is the one who's going to defeat the enemy. This is the one who's going to save the people and save the world. It's what almost all of our stories are. Last week, we talked about the pyramids and these ancient stone structures that are built all over the world, man-made mountains, because we're attempting to communicate with the divine or, or, or connect heaven and earth. And I don't have time to go back through that one. If you want to listen to it, it's recorded. It's out there on podcast. But mankind wants this. Mankind wants a hero that will come and save them. That's why we keep telling the story over and over and over. And some people would point to these two things and their similarities to the Christian story as a reason why the Christian story is just another story in the midst of all these tales that we tell. But I would argue that it's much more reason to accept it as the truth. Because it's ingrained in our DNA. It's what we keep doing. Over thousands of years, we keep telling these stories. We keep building these monuments. We keep constructing cities, trying to be what only we can be in him. We keep writing it over and over and over. We can't help it. And you're going to see a little bit more of that today. As we look at Psalm 8 and verse 1, just like last week, Psalm 24, it's pointing to how God is so big and created everything. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty from the mouths of infants and nurse and babies. You've established a stronghold on account of your adversaries. In order to silence the enemy and the avenger. We're going to come back there in just a little bit. But verse 3 through 9, we see that he's the creator. And him being the creator, I observed your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set into place. What is a human that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God, but crowned him with glory and honor and made him ruler over the works of your hands. And it reminds us of our Genesis purpose. The reason why we were were created and put on the earth. He said to him in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And he placed him, man, in the garden, the garden of Eden, to work it and to watch over it. That's our Genesis purpose. But what we talked about last week, we have a Genesis problem. Sin entered the earth and rebellion in the hearts of man to say, I don't need God. I can be God. And they were removed, sent away, driven out of the garden. So we have as people a desire to be with God, but we're disconnected from him because of our sin, because of our rebellion. We have a desire to be at home, but we have no way to get there. So that's our purpose. And then followed by our problem. But thankfully, he didn't leave us there. He also gave us a promise. In Genesis chapter three and verse 15, we know it was the serpent that came and tempted the woman and the man. And they ate of the fruit in rebellion Against God Almighty. And when God spoke to the serpent, he said, I will put hostility between you and the woman. I will put hostility between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head or crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. Now, in the hero stories, this is the part that's known as the prophecy. The prophecy about the chosen one, the one that would come and write things that had been Wrong. And see, if you read this by itself at the first of the book, it's pretty obscure, right? Is this just talking about how we're not going to like snakes for the rest of creation? Miss Kelly would say that's definitely part of it. <laughs> right? There is an enmity between us and the snakes. It's a weird relationship that we have. But what, what is this talking about? This enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And is it talking about the next man to be born? Is this going to be Cain? And Abel? What, what's going on here? And just like any prophecy, especially in these hero stories, it makes more sense when you look back on it from the end of the story. Right. It makes more sense when you look back on it from the end. So we're going to look over into the book of Hebrews chapter two. Remember, we were in Hebrews chapter 11 for quite a while. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read a little bit there because we'll see that these texts are connected together. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 5, it says, For God is not subjected to angels, the world to come, that we're talking about, but someone somewhere has testified What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was entirely appropriate that God for whom and through whom all things exist should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So Hebrews here is quoting Psalm 8. Did you see that in there? Quoting Psalm 8 that we read at the beginning. And Hebrews is pointing out to the people that would read it that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the high priest. He is the hero that would come. And and you see, when we go to the end, it's kind of like at the end of the movie, there's a recap. Or there's a couple of flash scenes that point out something that happened earlier. And you're like, well, you saw this when you watched that part of the movie. But now with this in mind, you'll see it a little bit different. And that's what the book and the writer, if Hebrews is doing, is connecting those dots. It says God Almighty didn't subject the world to come to angels, but to the man, Jesus Christ. The world to come, the one we talked about last week, when heaven's going to come down, descend to us and upon us. Because we couldn't reach it on our own. We know going back to the book of Genesis that the authority of man was stolen by these angels that he won't subject the coming world to. That through deception, they stole the authority of mankind. And that's the one we call Satan. We learn that means the adversary. The one that stands in the way. Or the devil, the accuser 
of the brethren. It says here in Hebrews that God didn't send an angel to redeem man. Why? Because we weren't like the angels. We were made different than them. We were made for a different purpose. He didn't send an angel to redeem man. He sent what? A man. He sent a hero who would be like us, but special. Like us, but also unique. And Hebrews is really going to hammer home that point. Again, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, verse 10, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Verse 11. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. He's saying that he doesn't mind calling us brothers and sisters because we have the same dad. We have the same father. He is like us, but he's from heaven. He brings many sons and daughters to glory, tasting death for each and every one. Now look at verse 14. This is where it makes it. It's like if you thought this was just you know, shadow connections. This is where it really hammers it home. In verse 14 and 15 of chapter two in the book of Hebrews. Now, since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil, just in case we weren't clear on who it was. That he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You see that? Right there, he's pointing to that manger that we sang about and the Savior that was in it. He was there like us so that he could taste death for us and destroy the one who held the power of death, that is the devil, going back to that serpent in the beginning. Remember Genesis, he told Eve, he said, in the serpent, he said, I'm going to put enmity between your seed serpent and her seed, who? The woman. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Verse 16, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and a faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. He had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could reach out and help them. Abraham's offspring. The one who were of the promise was the promise by by faith. Those who would believe in God for their righteousness, for their rescue, for their hero. So that he can make atonement for their sins, atonement for the sins of the people. That means sins not only being forgiven, 
but like they never happened. That you would once again be at one with God. It said that he came to do this to destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives to the fear of death. Why are we and were we held in slavery to the fear of death? Why were we held in slavery to it? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That the paycheck you get for being a sinner is what? Death. But then it also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We feel the wages of sin is death part, but we can also feel that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I was just blown backwards by this yesterday, thinking on it. I was like, Lord, you said it here that we were afraid of dying and we are. Right. It said that short of public speaking, fear of death is number two. And I think if there was really a line you had to get in, there'd be more people in the public speaking line, if I'm being honest. Right. There's this fear of dying. And we had that. We feel that. We've all dealt with that. His answer to that. Look at what God does. His answer to your fear of death is eternal life. It's like, you're afraid of dying, that you're not going to live anymore, that you're going to die. Guess what? I've got a deal for you. Eternal life in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Our problem was the fear of death. His answer, what an overwhelming answer. He didn't just say, you're still going to die, maybe it just won't hurt very bad. You're still going to die, but it'll be a long time in the future. He said, the answer to death in Christ is eternal life. What you're worried about and concerned about is your life ending, ending prematurely, ending when you weren't done. It, his answer to that fear, and again, we feel that because the wages of sin is death. We know that there was sin in our heart and in our life, and we know that we stand without an answer for that in ourselves. His answer to that in Christ Jesus is eternal life. What a hero, right? What a savior to take the people who were scared of death and not just preserve them for a little while, but to preserve them for all eternity. Again, the children have flesh and blood in common. Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy, destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives. To the fear of it. Now remember Hebrews right here in the context of what we're reading quotes Psalm chapter 8, which we read. Quotes it there in verses 5 through 8. Refers to it, the first scripture that we read. So when I connect these two for you, and I'm about to attempt to do that, it's not just me thinking they're alike. It's not just me wanting to force them together. It's literally hyperlinked together in the scripture for you. Pointing from here to there. Why? I believe it's so it can reveal what was going on the whole time. You see the parallels between these two scriptures. Again, in the hero story, you'll refer back and go, well, that part you didn't understand. 
Now here from this position, you can understand it. Scripture will link itself to itself and refer so that you know what's going on. There's another spot that also refers to Psalm 8. And it's in Matthew chapter 21. And I'm going to read that for you. You can turn there if you want to. It's in Matthew 21. And verse 14, and this, the context of what we're about to read, Jesus has had his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. This is what everybody's been waiting on. This is what the gospel story was building to. Jesus has been going about teaching about the kingdom, prophesying things that would come. And everybody wanted to see the showdown that would happen when he went to Jerusalem. Everybody, he he had stayed away for a long time. And everybody wanted to see what would happen. And remember the triumphal entry. And we'll talk about that probably as we get closer to Easter. He comes in on the donkey's colt. And people are shouting, the the king is here. Our help is here. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And he goes in the temple and he cleanses the temple because it needed to be cleansed. And then standing in that same temple, that's the context. That's where we are here in Matthew 21 and verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Saying to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus is healing people that would come The children who are seeing this happen are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David or to the king, the hero. And the Pharisees take exception with this. And they say, are you going to let them keep saying that? And then look what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So people are coming, being healed. People are shouting, the King of David is here. Help is here. This is the hero. And they say, are you going to let them keep saying that about you? Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes, I hear it. Have you ever read Psalm 8? And he quotes it. And he says, you have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Now, there's a little bit of a difference there in the translation. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it says stronghold or strength. He quotes it and it says praise because he was quoting it in the Greek. That's not an either or. I believe it's both. This stronghold and refuge, might and strength, and then praise being something that's commendable. Or a story worth telling. One of the definitions of praise, if you look it up, translated out of that Greek, is a story worth telling. He quoted Psalm 8 and said, haven't you read that God has prepared praise out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? Now remember in Psalm 8 it said, on account of your adversaries... He's done this. What's an adversary? Somebody who stands in the way. 
one who's standing in the way. On the count of your adversaries, you have prepared praise or a stronghold from the mouths of babies and nursing infants. And then in Hebrews, it said, oh, it also said to silence the enemy and the avenger. Right. It's like war talk, which is weird because it's talking about babies. And in Hebrews, it said through his death, he might destroy the one who held the power of death. That is the devil. You see the parallel there. Psalm 8, Hebrews 2, on account of your adversaries, you've prepared praise or a stronghold in the mouths of these babies. And then in Hebrews, it says that he did this so that he could die a death, destroying the one who held the power of death. That is the devil. And again, Jesus quotes Psalm 8. Why would he quote it? And why would he quote it here? Why would he quote it at this time? It wasn't going to be many days from when he said this. He was going to be carrying the cross on his back and then nailed to it. Crucified. Not very many days from the day he said this. He'd be laid in a tomb, raised the third day. Why quote Psalm 8? Why quote Psalm 8? Why quote it standing there in the temple? Why quote Psalm 8? Let's flip back to it. Just the first two verses. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the Avenger. And these hero stories, there's usually something called an Easter egg. And that's not like what you hunt, you know, that that you hide for the kids. An Easter egg is something that you're only going to notice if you've read the book and you're watching the movie. Right. Or you watch the previous movie and there's this little Easter egg in there just for appreciation for the folks that are paying attention. So, so, so So that it'll stand out if you've been watching the whole time. And it gives you that little, look at that. It's just attention to detail and they're thinking about it as it's being put down. It refers to something that you wouldn't otherwise notice unless you had seen it before or read more context about it. Again, remember Genesis. God cursed the serpent and and said of other things, he said, I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to make you an enemy. You and your seed are going to be an enemy with this woman and her seed. That her offspring is going to crush your head and you're going to strike his heel. I believe that when Jesus was quoting Psalm 8, standing there in the temple, he was pointing to the fact that every baby that had been born from that day, what day? The day the serpent was cursed. Up until the day that he said it, that every baby that was born, that breathed, cried, spoke out, every baby was testifying, he's coming. Every single one. Why? Because the seed of the woman has continued. The seed of the woman has persisted. And there was an effort to stop it. We don't have time to go into it. There's plenty of effort to stop that from happening. And yet it couldn't be 
stopped. Every, every baby born, every breath taken, every first cry when they swat that bottom was testifying, he's coming. The hero's coming. The king is coming. The one who will silence the enemy and the avenger, he's coming. Why? Because it had been prophesied by God Almighty in the garden. He wasn't going to let it go. He wasn't going to back off and go, you can have them. He said, the help is going to come from the seed of the woman. And every single one, every single one from that day until Jesus stood in the temple had been testified. Babies keep being born. The seed of the woman keeps persisting. Why? Because there was a blessing on humans. God had blessed them. And you can't revoke that. You can't take it away. You drove them out of the garden. That's where they had to go was out of the garden. But the dominion was still there. The blessing was still upon them. And the enemy and the avenger couldn't stop it. They just kept being born. And again, they kept trying. Even you look at the Christmas story. We didn't have the kids sing that part. But Herod killed how many babies? trying to stop the one. How many times have they tried to, and you see it, discounting the children, taking them out. Uh-uh, there's still too many being born. Still testifying. The breath that they breathe, the cries that they make, testifying that he's coming. Because think about it. How else, how in the world can a baby's cry or a baby's breath silence the enemy? How can it do that? How can that happen? What is it? What's the enemy hearing when that baby breathes, when that baby cries? It's like, you hold the power of death, but do you hear that sound? You hold the power of death because it says he's holding it. In Hebrews, it says he's the one that was holding it. You hold the power of death. Do you hear that sound? He's coming. Do you hear that sound? He's coming. And since then, every baby born, you hear that sound? He came and he's coming back. Do you hear that sound? He came and he is coming back. You hold the power of death? Do you hear that sound? Across the, across the world. Do you hear that sound? You hold the power of death? Watch your head. Watch your head. It's coming down on your head. Every baby, every breath, ever since, testifying that what God has put into motion cannot be stopped. That what he has planned from the foundations of the earth cannot be stopped. He is the seed of the woman. He is the promised child. He is crowned with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet. He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Why? Because he was able to taste death for each and every one of them because we share flesh and blood in common. He shared it with us so that he could destroy the one that held the power of death. That is the devil. And free all those who were held under the power of that fear of death 
all of their life. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold or you have ordained praise both on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. One more spot that I want to read. One more thing I want to share with you. And then I'm going to let you think about this that I've been thinking about for a while. He's just been turning this over and over in me. I'm so thankful we have a little get together before uh, we meet. You know, we start in here at 1030. The team gets here at nine to practice. And Kemper and I would just sit and visit from 930 to sometimes all the way up to 1030. Talking about the things of the Lord. We opened it up, said anybody who wants to come can come. Let's talk about the word, what we're reading, what we're wrestling with, what we're learning in it. And this came up. He brought it out. Psalm 8, Hebrews 2. He's like, these are connected. We started talking about it. The Lord just kept unfolding it. So I'm so thankful for that fellowship that we have, that we get to spend time together talking. Because it sharpens me. It stirs me. Uh, But as I was reading this, I thought about Luke chapter two and verse nine. Verse eight, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people that today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to the people, to the humans that he favors. He sent him as a baby because he said that's what he was going to do to silence the enemy and the avenger. He shared in flesh and blood because we share in flesh and blood. He passed through a virgin's womb so that he could be laid in a virgin tomb. Did you know that that's what it said about his tomb? It said no man had ever lain there. You know, they tell us about the manger where he was laid. And what do we picture often? You know what? It's made out of wood. They said more than likely it wasn't made out of wood. More than likely it was hewn out of stone. And he was laid in that stone. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Strips of cloth. So that he could be laid in a tomb hewn out of stone. And wrapped in those grave clothes so that he could share in our flesh and blood and taste death for all of us so that all of us who have been subject to the fear of death all our lives 
could be set free from that. He came to be our hero. There's, there's one more connection. Who was there with him when he was born? Mary and Joseph laid him in the manger. Mary and Joseph of Arimathea laid him in the tomb. He didn't stay there. He rose to silence the enemy and the avenger. In every baby's breath. From before that testified he was coming. Since then testified that he came. And that's all the enemy can hear. Can't stop this. Tries to stop it. You look at all the evils in the world. What does it focus on? Death. All around death. How many people can die? But he cannot stop it. Listen. He is our hero. He is our rescue story. You see so many other echoes of it in culture and all the things that we write and all the songs that we sing and all the stories that we tell. But there is only one original. And we need to know him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for a glimpse at how big you are. Lord, we, we went over a story in a matter of minutes that covered thousands of years. And you planned that and purposed that and willed it into motion and you weren't strained or stressed by it. You weren't exhausted to do it, to think it up and to put your plan into action. I thank you that we see our Genesis purpose. We feel it in our hearts, but we also feel that Genesis problem. Lord, we long to be with you, but our sin has kept us separate from you. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord except him that has clean hands and a pure heart? And we find ourselves without either one. But Father, I thank you that you sent us a rescuer. You sent us a Messiah. You sent us a hero. And you didn't send an angel. You sent him born of a virgin, born a man sharing in flesh and blood with us. It said there in Hebrew so that he could minister to us, so that he could sympathize with us, that he could truly love and identify with us. And Father, we know when we read last week that we don't have to go up in heaven and bring him down and we don't have to go down to the grave and bring him up. All we have to do is proclaim with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord of what? Lord of everything. And believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead. And that being important because that's how you silenced our enemy. The one who held the power of death. I think that he didn't hold it anymore. That Christ holds the keys of death and hell and the grave. And every baby's breath Every baby's cry testifies of the same. Lord, I pray that as we go into this season, we get to enjoy every bit of it, all the good things that you have for us. And Father, I thank you ever the more that this truth would be in front of our eyes, that it would be the biggest thing in front of our eyes. 
that you came, our hero, to save us. And I thank you, Lord. We experience that now, that salvation now. And Lord, we'll experience it for the rest of eternity. Our problem was death and the fear of it. Your answer was a trump card of eternal life. There's not anyone telling a better story than that. There's not any offer we'll find that's better than you. And I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love that you have given us a faithful high priest in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity with one another. I thank you that this will turn over and over in our spirit. I thank you that you will uh, lead us to meditate on it and to visit it even in the night hours when we're still and when we're quiet. Lord, and you will use it to comfort us for all of our days. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.